Tonight, buried in debt, the unprecedented pinch of rising interest rates and soaring inflation. From credit cards to mortgages. My payment has gone up $837 in the last year. The impact on spending for the holiday season. Growing consequences with Canadian hospitals at the breaking point. This is not where you expect to end up for hours from home. The amplified outcry from families and frontline workers. Plus a new goal for culture change. We just want better outcomes for our kids down the road. The game plan against toxic behavior on and off the ice. CTV National News with Omar Sachadina. Good evening, everyone. With less than two weeks until Christmas, consumers are facing tough choices about what to buy and how much to spend this holiday season, as a new economic snapshot today revealed a painful financial reality. Canadians now carry nearly $2.8 trillion in debt. Most of that, $2.07 trillion, is mortgage debt. And higher rates mean interest payments have surged the highest increase on record. Here's another way to look at it. For every dollar they bring in, Canadians owe $1.83. CTV's Alberta Bureau Chief Bill Fortier explains. If you have a mortgage like millions of Canadians, it could soon cost you more if it hasn't already jumped. My payment has gone up $837 in the last year. Jason Scott is a homeowner and a mortgage broker. He says many of his clients are also feeling the impacts of seven straight interest rate hikes. And so that has a big impact on people. It takes money out of their pockets. There's less money to spend on other consumer goods or discretionary things like going out to a restaurant. In the third quarter, of this year, total debt payments in Canada jumped by about 5.5% to nearly $230 billion, mainly a result of borrowers paying more interest, 16% or around $16 billion more. Our top priority is getting inflation all the way back to our 2% target. The rate increases have been an attempt to cool an overheated economy, and the central bank says it's starting to see results. Inflation is trending downward, and the housing market is cooling. Interest rate increases have begun to work, but they will take time to feed through the economy. The question is, uh, has the Bank of Canada done too much at this point? This economist suggests the hikes may be working too well, making it hard for Canadians to make ends meet. The overall wealth of Canadian households dropped by nearly a third of a trillion dollars. Households are stretched financially, and uh, uh, I'm afraid it's going to get worse before it gets better. Worse with a recession expected in the new year. But there is some positive news. Many economists are predicting that will lead to lower interest rates late next year or in early 2024. Omar. Still months away. All right, Bill, thank you. And the pain of bad weather will soon be felt in parts of Saskatchewan and Manitoba. A storm expected to bring heavy snow to those provinces blanketed large parts of the United States today. Northern California is still digging out after a weekend that dumped more than 120 centimeters of snow on the Sierra Nevada mountains. Train crews scrambled to plow rails free of massive snow piles, while in Utah, this bus flipped off a major highway, injuring 22 people, with the slick roads leading to a series of accidents. Hundreds of flights were also canceled because of the storm, and more than 6,000 
5,000 were delayed. Severe weather in Britain has resulted in tragedy after three young boys fell through an ice-covered lake. Police in full uniform jumped into the icy waters to pull out the children, aged 8, 10, and 11, but they could not be revived. A six-year-old was also rescued and is in critical condition. Yesterday's incident is a stark reminder to us all of the dangers of open water, especially during the winter months. Frozen lakes, ponds, canals and reservoirs can look picturesque, but they can be lethal. And there are no greater warnings of this than yesterday's tragic events. The UK is in the midst of a cold snap with heavy snow covering many areas, which led to delays on the roads and at airports. Children's hospitals in Canada are issuing warnings tonight. They may be stretched further than ever over the holiday season. The overwhelming number of flu cases is leading to a shortage of beds. The healthcare crisis was met today with a political threat from the NDP leader that could potentially bring down the Liberal government. Here's CTV's Heather Wright. This arm, he had two IVs. When four-year-old Remy Rutherford got sick last month, his mother Stephanie tried Tylenol and Advil. But they weren't keeping his fever down and the little boy was getting worse. So Stephanie called 911. The doctors were saying that if I had not called 911 when I did, not that he could be dead, but that he would be. Remy had sepsis, but the family's local hospital in Simcoe, Ontario, was full. The nearest bed, more than 400 kilometers from home in Kingston. Terrifying, to be honest. Um, when your kid ex gets a fever, this is not where you expect to end up for hours from home in a PICU. Right now, the ICU at SickKids Hospital in Toronto is at 120% capacity and has no room for new patients. It's not ideal as a family to have to have a child that far away, but it is also important to appreciate that by doing that air transport, that child was able to be uh, assessed and treated sooner. A number of protests in Ontario today took aim at the Ford government, with healthcare workers accusing it of inaction. We're tired. We cry on the way to our shifts, we cry at work, and we cry when we leave. With hospitals across the country under strain, today federal NDP leader Jagmeet Singh threatened to withdraw from his confidence agreement with the governing Liberals if there's no immediate action to address the health care crisis. We are at a breaking point. Things are very serious and it's specifically for our children's hospital. Our children are at risk right now. The Prime Minister says he's willing to offer more money for health care with certain conditions, something the Premiers have so far rejected. As for the deal with the NDP, Justin Trudeau says that will be the least of his government's worries if this health care crisis continues. Omar. All right, Heather Wright in Toronto tonight. Heather, thank you. Silence fell over the House of Commons today as MPs paused to remember a former cabinet minister and current Liberal MP who died at the age of 71. Our colleague Jim Carr just passed away, and I think it would be an appropriate thing if we could just have a moment of silence and a prayer. Jim Carr represented the riding of Winnipeg South Centre since 2015 and served as both Minister of Natural Resources and Minister of Internal Trade Diversification. The Prairie politician took an unusual path to public life, working as a musician playing the oboe, then later in journalism as an editorial writer with the Winnipeg Free Press. In Ottawa, Carr worked right up until the end just last week celebrating the passing of his private member's bill on building a green prairie economy. He was committed to every corner of this country 
contributing to a better future for everyone, and he will be missed. Jim Carr had been battling cancer for the past three years. Iran has executed the second prisoner in less than a week, detained during protests against the regime. 23-year-old Majid Reza Ranavad was publicly hanged from a crane after he was convicted of stabbing to death two paramilitary officers last month. His family says they were not informed of the execution until he was dead. Ranavad was part of a nationwide movement denouncing the regime's strict dress code for women. The erosion of human rights under the Taliban has forced many in Afghanistan to seek refuge in other countries, including Canada. Of the 40,000 Afghans the federal government promised to resettle, only 26,000 have arrived so far. CTV's Adrian Grobriel spoke to some who have made that difficult journey and are now making a new start. A smile etched with gratitude. It's a miracle, uh, frankly, to see these people here. They began arriving with their little ones in tow in October. 21 refugees from Afghanistan, each with their own story of survival. Today, for the very first time, they gathered and met part of the team at Journalists for Human Rights, who helped raise the funds to give them a chance at a new life. There is a saying in Islam, uh, to save a life is to save a world. I want the international communities to hear our voices. The tears rolling down Akila Tavakali's face give a glimpse into the horrifying loss she has witnessed. Tavakali was the principal at an all-girls school in Kabul, where it's believed a Taliban bomb hit, killing more than 80 students and injuring 170. I still remember students were calling for help. Like so many others, Tavakali had to flee after speaking out for women's rights and against the Taliban. I was personally targeted. Uh, there was a vehicle that was following us too closely. Sonia Shinawari was a journalist at an all-women's news network in Afghanistan before the Taliban closed it down. She conducted this interview with a former Taliban commander as he made disparaging remarks about women in positions of power. As the interview began trending online, Shinawari believes she became a target. Unfortunately, we lost a lot of uh, friends in the journalism, uh, journalist industry um, that weren't able to make it out alive from some of these uh, horrendous attacks. Today, thousands remain stranded in Afghanistan or in deplorable refugee camps in countries like Pakistan, where they're facing growing resistance. Journalists for Human Rights have raised $1.8 million, and they're still trying desperately to bring another 52 refugees to Canada. Omar? All right, Adrian, thank you. Hockey Canada unveiled the nominees for its new leadership team today after the last board stepped down over the organization's handling of sexual assault allegations. Five women and four men are up for seats on the board of directors, including former Olympian and retired Ontario Court Justice Hugh Fraser and two-time gold medalist Cassie Campbell-Pascal. And while changes at the top are one way to shift the culture, CTV's Heather Butts looks at a grassroots program making strides in the right direction. Stepping onto the ice at this arena in rural Ontario, these Duro Dukes live for the game. Just getting out there on the ice, it's just, it's just a good feeling. It's the bond, I'd say, and the, like having those guys to joke around with, and you go out and you get to play a, con a competitive sport, and it's fun. 
Tonight's practice, though, extends beyond their ice time. Consent, we want it to be freely given. It's their first session with the Kawartha Sexual Assault Center. The community organization teamed up with the Minor Hockey League to help promote a culture shift. Starting this training really young is going to... Uh, you know, foster growth within that uh, hockey community. The partnership stems from the revelations of alleged sexual assaults by former members of Canada's men's national junior team and the organization's cover-up. There was shock, there was disgust at the way it was handled, and, and it really started to get us thinking in regards to how can we get better um, outcomes for our children in our community. Topics include consent, healthy relationships, bystander intervention, and how to handle rejection. It's talking about the permission to have control over your actions and, and imposing that on others, right? So it's yes and no, and you, you can advocate for yourself. With roughly 200 players in this league, age 5 to 18, the goal is to have everyone attend a session with the curriculum focused on the specific age group. For some, it's as simple as focusing on healthy language. The way that we talk in the locker room has an impact on the way that we see the wider world, um, and it informs our perspective. So we really want to uh, make sure that that's where we start. Leaning on the experts to help create awareness and promote respect. I'd rather learn it with my team than learn it on my own. It's, it's a better environment to learn that. Shaping more compassionate players as teams work to change the image of hockey one shift at a time. Heather Butts, CTV News, Duro Dummer, Ontario. Coming up after the break. Billionaire Elon Musk booed at a Dave Chappelle comedy show. Plus, a famed showpiece restored back to its original beauty. Thirty-four years after Pan Am Flight 103 blew up over Lockerbie, Scotland, killing everyone on board, a Libyan spy made his first court appearance in Washington today to face terrorism charges. What families of victims, mostly Americans, are calling a momentous day. This was the love of my life, and I had promised him that um, I, I would make sure until my dying breath um, that I was going to do what I could to pursue justice. Victoria Cummings' husband, John, was among the 270 people killed. Abu Aguila Mohammed Massoud is accused of making the bomb that destroyed the jet midair. He is the first suspect in the case to stand trial on U.S. soil. If convicted, he faces life in prison, not the death penalty. Some late developments tonight in the case of Sam Bankman-Fried, the former CEO of cryptocurrency giant FTX. He was arrested today in the Bahamas at the request of the U.S. government. The New York Times says he's facing a number of charges, including securities fraud, wire fraud, and money laundering. FTX, which was valued at $32 billion earlier this year, filed for bankruptcy protection last month. Beckman Fried recently said that he didn't knowingly misuse clients' funds. He was scheduled to appear virtually before a congressional committee tomorrow. Elon Musk made a surprise appearance at a comedy show in San Francisco and got a reception he likely wasn't expecting. The billionaire was brought on stage by Dave Chappelle, but was then booed by the audience. CTV's Richard Madden on how the popularity of the world's richest man has taken a hit since his takeover of Twitter. Make some noise for the richest man in the world. When comedian Dave Chappelle invited tech billionaire Elon Musk on stage, he didn't get the laughs he hoped for. 
Cheers and booze, I see. You shut the up with your booze. The San Francisco crowd mostly turning on the once darling of nearby Silicon Valley, the founder of Tesla. And SpaceX is now facing open hostility after buying social media platform Twitter, then abruptly firing hundreds of staff. Chappelle tried to joke it off. It sounds like some of them people you fired are in the audience. Based on the crowd's reaction, what does this say about Musk's popularity in Silicon Valley? I think that his popularity is just as, taking as much of a hit offline as it, as it is online. Ever since Musk bought Twitter, he's been leaning into far-right politics, restoring banned accounts, and embracing conspiracies. Recently tweeting to his millions of followers, he would prosecute Dr. Anthony Fauci, the infectious disease expert who ran the White House task force during the pandemic. These personal attacks uh, that we have been seeing are dangerous uh, uh, on Dr. Fauci and other public health professionals as well. Uh, are, they are disgusting and they are divorced from, uh, from reality. After Twitter users posted their reaction, Musk responded. Technically, it was 90% cheers and 10% booze. Twitter is not real life, but real people are on Twitter. And I think for the first time, Musk came into contact with a crowd of the people who his actions are affecting the most directly, and they were not happy to hear from him. It's true Twitter isn't real life, but many attendees were likely wishing for a block or mute button. Richard Madden, CTV News, Washington. Still ahead, a prelude to awards season. The big question is what's going to happen with the big established stars. The Golden Globes' contentious return and attempt to rebuild its reputation. A year after being pulled from network television under a cloud of controversy, the Golden Globes are returning. The Hollywood Foreign Press Association, which conducts the glitzy ceremony, faced accusations of racism and sexual misconduct. CTV's Melanie Nagy on the changes and the attempt at a comeback. A box office smash success. A big budget, high tech sequel. And a biopic about one of rock and roll's greatest singers. All films newly nominated for a Golden Globe, the annual award and its accompanying broadcast are attempting a comeback. Please join us. For the tarnished globes are set to return to TV following months of controversy, scandal, and boycotts. A lot of the more up-and-coming nominees will certainly show up. The big question is what's going to happen with the big established stars. Big names like Tom Cruise. Last year, he returned his Golden Globes in protest against the award's founders, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. The organization came under fire after it was revealed it had no black members. There were also accusations of sexual misconduct. Brendan Fraser accused the association's former president of groping him in 2003. Despite a nomination today for his performance in The Whale, the actor will not attend the ceremony. The Globes are notoriously unpredictable. <laughs> They've always uh, thrown some wild cards at us. The association claims it's changed and now has racially diverse members. It also says comedian Jared Carmichael will front the show, making him the first ever solo black host. But even with the changes, critics say more needs to be done, pointing to this year's female director snub. 
Women Talking was directed by Canada's Sarah Pauly. While she wasn't recognized for her directorial skills, she did land two other nominations. Another nod to Canadian talent went to the Toronto-based animated film Turning Red. Ladies and gentlemen, as for the embattled awards show, it'll be held in January. Only then will it be determined if it can regain its golden luster. Melanie Nay, GCTV News, Vancouver. After the break, a remarkable restoration, modern technology used to repair a masterpiece. One of the most famous paintings of the nativity scene has been given a dramatic facelift and is now on display at Britain's National Gallery. It took three years of meticulous cleaning and restoration, but the painting is back and more celebrated than ever. Here's CTV's chief international correspondent, Paul Workman. The before and after story of Piero's nativity is remarkable. How a 15th century work of art, which was chipped, scraped, fractured and burned, was made whole again. This project has taken way longer than we expected because of the pandemic. Here's conservator Jill Dunkerton midway through her three-year project, cleaning away 500 years of grime and damage before the original beauty and complexity of the nativity was fully restored. I don't think his family looked after it very well. Um, it wasn't the best piece of wood in the first place, but all sorts of problems developed with the wood of the panel, but also the painting had a very severe and rough overcleaning. Piero located his nativity scene not in Bethlehem, but in Tuscany. Those white marks on the naked baby Jesus were from candle burns, and here's what it looks like today. The birth scene, by the way, was influenced by a 14th century Swedish mystic. And she had a vision of the birth of Christ in which the Virgin gave birth absolutely painlessly, popping out Christ onto the ground. Men in Piero's paintings always had ruddy complexions. This is what the shepherds looked like after restoration. At one point in its life, the painting cracked in two. And when the panels were rejoined, a millimeter was missing. The restoration team carefully inserted a thin sliver of wood and presto. Now with many artists or many different parts of the design, that wouldn't matter. But with Piero, because he's so precise, every millimeter matters. To celebrate its return, the Nativity has been given a room of its own at the National Gallery, a masterpiece from the Renaissance, with a 21st century makeover. Paul Workman, CTV News, London. That's really impressive. And that's a snapshot of this Monday for all of us at CTV National News. Good night and see you tomorrow. Five crucial questions to expose the truth. Who's at risk? What needs to change? When will justice be done? There was actually a plot to kill you. Where's the proof? Why did this happen? Watch W5 Saturdays at 7 on CTV.